Hello and welcome back to the European show. Um, the Champions League is back this week, which is good, so we're going to preview that. But obviously, as always, we're going to look back at this weekend's football. Um, as usual, Nick is joining me today. Hello, hello. Welcome back. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. And so the first place we'll start is La Liga, where two games left it very late once again. Um, this time we'll start... We'll start with Barcelona versus Espanyol in the Barcelona derby um, where it featured a, a, a late Luke de Jong goal um, to equalise for Barcelona and save them a point. Yeah, first of all, I love Barcelona, how they brought in so many new attackers this transfer window. They brought in Adam Traore, who, who in fairness did play his part in this, in this game. Ferran Torres, Aubameyang, and still the man who saved them in the last minute was Luke de Jong. I think that is peak football but yeah uh the game overall well barcelona uh imitated uh, a lot what they saw in the game against atleti in in a bad way they imitated what atleti did which is essentially score very early on and then just get complacent and and let your opponents who you could have dominated run over you and um and yeah they began as i mentioned really really well uh jordi alba cross uh, finished by by pedri literally in the second minute uh, put them ahead by one. Uh, it was difficult to judge how they were doing until then because because almost nothing happened. But they in the 120 seconds they had the ball that did look very good. Uh, and then they fell back and couldn't be bothered, basically. Um, Espanyol overran them, essentially. Um, it, but uh, but they just weren't able to do much with the ball. They, they did get um, some shots off, but it was... Uh, Espanyol just didn't have the quality to break... Um, to break um, Barcelona's defense, which is shows you that <laughs> Espanol doesn't have very good creative players if you can't break that defense. But still, um, they eventually have just eventually having that much possession and attacking that much uh, led to led to a goal, uh, a really nice curling effort by Sergi Darder. Uh, he was just given too much time, too much space, and and he slotted it past Stegen. And usually you'd expect the team to react at that point, but still nothing happened. L literally, like during during these m moments, the only players Barcelona had on the pitch were essentially just like Gavi, uh, Adam Atrare, who was really quite good. Pedri was all right, but not amazing. And and Araujo, who was really just active and everywhere, just trying to trying to do his best. Then in the second half, uh, catastrophe struck when Araujo had to be subbed off due to injury and he was replaced by Erika Garcia, uh, a fan favourite who I believe is not a very good footballer um, and especially because he's just come back from injury he's even more rusty than usual and so the second goal came essentially from him not knowing how to play an offside trap Raul Tomas getting a lovely ball in, in on top controls it very well and slots it past Stegen. with that Barcelona finally realised that they were in deep deep trouble but uh, considering they had 25 minutes left, they still had a fair amount of time to recover, and that they, they did. They seized control of the game again. Uh, once again, I already mentioned Gavi had a good performance, but this is where he really began to shine, leading, leading the team forwards. Um, with the entrance of Aubameyang and Dembele, the team changed, but not much came of it. Dembele was alright. Uh, he's actually quite good, especially considering he's basically being forced out of the club 
Aubameyang was less good than one would expect, but the real game changer was when Luke de Jong got subbed on in the 89th minute. That's when things got rocking and rolling. First of all, uh, a scuffle uh, had Piquet sent off, uh, and then shortly after, uh, Nicolas Ribaudo. It was a bit stupid, I don't think, especially Piquet, like, he shouldn't have not, he should not have been sent off. It, it, he was clearly provoked and he didn't even react that badly. Um, but but the, but this bit of chaos just proceeded, just finally Adam Atrara running down the wing and crossing in a, a delicious ball in for, uh, for Luke de Jong, who, as a wise man once said, on a cross, he is more dangerous than Neymar. And he proved that statement absolutely right hammering the ball into the into the bottom corner where no goalkeeper could reach it uh, another Espanol uh, player got sent uh, sorry one of Espanol's technical staff got sent off uh, after complaining about the last goal I don't know what he was talking about there was nothing wrong with it um, but yeah that concluded a, a, a pretty painful derby for Barcelona and Espanol will also come out of that feeling quite bad especially considering that they f- will feel that they could have done more with the, with the advantage they had and then Obviously, Barcelona are now in the Europa League as they face Napoli, who are obviously third in Serie A. So this is obviously going to be a very difficult tie for Barcelona to come out of. Yeah, this is a this is a team Napoli that just played a, a good even game against Inter. We'll cover that. Uh, they'll cover that in a bit, and. And considering that uh, Barcelona just struggled so much against such a basic team, that uh, that once they're, they're trying to defend against players that can actually move the ball forwards and exploit gaps, like Insigne, Zielinski, Osimhen, a fast striker, I think they're going to really, really struggle to cover all of these positions. Because uh, as I previously mentioned, um, Espanyol lacked that that creative flair that let them break past uh, a pretty fragile defense. But um, but yeah, I think that's gonna be their main problem. Not to mention, yeah, I, I mean, in fairness, if they play a good midfield, like I'm of the opinion that Nico and, and Gavi should be the two starting center mids, because Frankie De Jong was not atrocious last game. Don't get me wrong, but um, but he did seem like he was dragging the team down. He wasn't all there. He was slowing down the tempo. Uh, he didn't do anything special. Meanwhile, every time Nico is on the pitch, he is the exact opposite. He's just fast. He's energetic. He knows what to do and he pushes forwards. But yeah, and next to Gavi, these two are such a power pair that they can do so much. And I think that this is really what would be Barcelona's best hope, uh, this combination, to get a a good result from the game. And then basically anyone you put in front, especially with Adam Atrara, who's been doing quite well recently, like you can create a lot of danger, I think. And now back to La Liga, obviously... Atletico, who you've said before, are quite poor, scraped really a win against Atafe with a late goal themselves as well. Yep, it was another case of getting a getting a lead early on, and just losing focus. Uh, the beginning was pretty great for Madrid. They they seemed uh, they they seemed more energetic and quite quite ready to 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 change. The, the image that we'd seen of them in the previous game against Barcelona. However, um, oh yeah, and, and as a result of this, two good goals uh, were produced, the first one by Correa and the second one by, Mate- by, by Cunha, 
who we did clown when he when he signed for for Atleti. I don't remember if it was on the podcast itself, but Jack certainly uh, did comment to me at least in private that he didn't think he was going to be good enough, and he's proving a lot of people wrong. Like Mateus Cunha has made a good impact at Atleti. He hasn't gotten many minutes, but basically every time he shoots, he scores. Um, but yeah, with two 0 up, Atleti looked like they had the game in hand. Two or three seasons ago. Atleti would have never lost a two-goal lead, just like one of the most impregnable defenses in Europe. Would just have not. It was. It would have been inconceivable. Just score two, lock up shop. Nothing gets past. Probably not even a shot on goal from the other team. Complete opposite image. Uh, the, the other day, it was the, some of the most porous rubbish I've seen in my life. It was just like the midfield couldn't contain any of the any of the advancements from the from from the opposing team. Getafe isn't even that good. Uh, in terms of producing but but they still managed to get forwards a lot the first goal came from some horrendous free kick defending another area which used to be basically uh, Atleti's one of Atleti's strongest points um, it, just the ball gets scuffed around a man is left unmarked and, and just slots it past past Oblak then the second goal comes from a from a handball in fairness difficult to difficult to, to stop that but the handball causes a penalty uh, which was then converted by by Enes Unal, and then, like three or four minutes later, after Getafe equalized from that penalty, another handball in the box, like that's just carelessness at that point. Lamar jumps up with his hands not close enough to his body, definitely not. It was a silly mistake, um, causing this, and from that, that caused the third penalty, which Enes Unal also slotted away. Uh, so that put Atleti in a horrendous position. They reacted well, fair enough, but also at that point in the game, you shouldn't be reacting. It's Getafe. Like, come on, what are you telling me? How did you bottle a lead like that and now you're behind in the space of like 10 minutes? It was so stupid. But um, but fortunately for Atleti, uh, they grabbed the goal back very shortly before halftime with a, with a header from Correa. I genuinely believe Correa is being one of Atleti's top three players, if not Atleti's best player this season. He saved the team on so many occasions. He's just so clutch. It's unbelievable. He's not the best in terms of technical quality or whatever, but he's just, he puts in so much effort and it pays off every time. But yeah, going into halftime, Atleti were even. Second half was a lot more boring than the first one. We saw an amazing six goal display in the first 45 minutes. In the second, it was just passing around, Atleti looking for a spot, not really finding anything, passing the ball back, rinse and repeat. But, um, but yeah, it just looked like, like the game wasn't really going anywhere. Joe Felix got subbed on. Don't even know why he wasn't starting. I think he would have made a massive difference. Um, but yeah, the, the the game just looked pretty dusted. Getafe was holding on quite well until a free kick whipped in by Rodri de Paul in like the 91st minute. Joe Felix heads it down. And then I just see with my own two eyes, Hermoso just lashes Buta for the volley and completely whiff it. He just scuffs the ball and it goes flying up in the air. And I was like, oh my days, there's no way. And then he turns around and bices it. And I'm like, he's going to hit the crossbar. And he doesn't. It actually goes in. It was such a scuffy but nice at the same time goal. It was ridiculous in the 91st minute. Like, that's, that just describes Atleti in like this entire season. It, it was a culmination of, of, of a play style that's all over the place. But yeah, it, it, Adeti somehow managed to pull away three points from that game. And they'll be very grateful because that means that Barcelona doesn't pull away from them and they can maybe catch up 
uh, and get a Champions League spot? Um, we do have a title race back on our hands as well now. Although we we, we kind of dismissed it as well. Um, Sevilla beat Elche 2-0. Um, and then Real Madrid later on in the weekend proceeded to draw 0-0 with Villarreal to cut the gap to cut the gap to four points. Absolutely. That last game was really quite interesting as well. It was bizarre that the game ended 0-0 because if you watched it, it was just pure action. The first half was a Villarreal domination, just absolutely. Real Madrid had a few occasions, but uh, but really they got pretty much swept. Villarreal was just shooting everywhere um, from from all positions. Uh, Courtois had a great performance and then Nacho, Nacho as well was really just shutting down any of the most dangerous, dangerous opportunities. But, um, but yeah, Villarreal had a lot of opportunities to go ahead and they did not manage to, to capitalize on any of it. And Real Madrid looked like they were in deep, deep trouble. It were, uh, however, going into halftime, Ancelotti clearly, um, well, he showed he's one of the best managers in the world. He changed the team out completely. Uh, he brought in Luka Jovic at one point. This was interesting because it was Gareth Bale's first game back uh, in the team. It's not like he was injured or anything. He just wasn't valued, I think. But I'm, I, it's difficult to say with Bale. Uh, he actually had a pretty good game uh, until he got subbed off. But uh, but the second half, what I was getting to, just completely different. The, the Real Madrid players were much more turned on, uh, looking out for the for the goal. Uh, and really, it was pretty much the opposite of the of the first half. It was Real Madrid eating up Villarreal. Uh, just pushing in on their goal the whole time. Ruli um, basically replicated Courtois' amazing first half. Uh, he was just saving everything left and right. And and once again, you just saw so much going on. You're like, how how has this game just not had any goals in it yet? And uh, yeah, Nacho had a really good opportunity right in the last few minutes. Uh, but uh, but really, I, I think it was... Um, yeah, I, I think it's a game in which it was bizarre to see that neither team scored because I mean Villarreal in the first and Real Madrid in the second they both had like three or four very clear opportunities uh, which were just stopped by either uh, nervous finishing lack of composure or really great goalkeeping from both sides so even though it's one of those games that even though it ends nil-nil it's still a great performance and I think it was uh, like as exciting as a game like Atleti's it, even though it had more goals the second half was dreadful and boring this one had no goals in it but it had action throughout so I think uh, I, I think like from a neutral standpoint th- this is a pretty good game um, yeah then in the Champions League Real Madrid play PSG in probably the biggest tie of this round um, obviously PS- we know PSG are not as good as they should be um, and this is going to be a real test for them because obviously PSG are the so-called new boys who want to dominate um, world football whereas obviously Real Madrid are the record number of winners in the Champions League um, so it's definitely going to be interesting to see one if PSG Europe can actually be any good um, and actually compete with um, Real Madrid if, if I'm being honest I think Real Madrid have this one in the bag when this was drawn, it looked like it'd be an even tie, but um, but we've seen Real Madrid handle games so well and in such a composed fashion. Even games in which they trip up, like last week's, they they have such a methodical way of playing and fixing their errors and playing as a unit. 
Meanwhile, we see PSG just scrambling everywhere, trying to get the ball to their best players and, and just hoping that they, that they can do the best with that. We don't see a team with cohesion. We don't see a team that can react uh, to stresses and pressures put on them. I think Real Madrid are, are, are really going to, especially Ancelotti, who I've, I've praised more than once, he's really going to be able to exploit PSG's weaknesses. Uh, PSG are essentially just going to be praying for a masterclass from from either Messi, Mbappe or or Neymar. But but I, I do think that, especially this first game, Real Madrid, uh, the way things are looking, they're going to win it. Uh, yeah, I, I probably see Real Madrid are going to come out on top because we know how inconsistent PSG are in their own league. Um, and when you can argue the quality of teams isn't as good as what it's meant to be. Um, and they're probably going to get exposed when they play against um, this Real Madrid team. Yeah, um, yeah, I absolutely agree. And well, moving back to La Liga, there was a few more games of interest. Well, there was one more actually. Uh, and that was Betis, who thrashed Levante 4-2. Levante looked like they're in a really tough spot now. They're basically relegated. Uh, so it shouldn't be too impressive that Betis won. But it is good because they, they cut down points on league leaders. They're still very far off, don't get me wrong. But every, I think everybody in Spain secretly dreams that Betis will win the league one day, unless they support Sevilla. But, but with that exception, everyone thinks it'd be really cool. But um, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> but, but they still cut down points. So, you know, uh, the game was essentially a Betis thrashing. A 1-0 from, from Fakir, who just weasels past every defender. Edgar Gonzalez scores his first goal for Betis. He's a he's a defender turned a defensive midfielder who's really been putting on good performances recently. Then William Car Carvalho uh, again managed to score in in the Copa del Rey game against Athletic Bilbao. He he did a good job and he scored and he did so once again. And then and then Bet Betis just kind of took the took the pedal. Then Betis and then Betis like in the previous games we've mentioned just kind of took their foot off the gas. They let themselves go a little bit. Um, Danny Gomez scored a, scored one goal right before halftime, and then another right after halftime, which put the score in two three and made it look like if Levante had a real opportunity at catching up to Betis. However, they were just too far behind, and Betis were just playing better and also had Nabil Fekir, who scored a really nice free kick and just drowned out any hope of Levante equalising. Um. Real Betis are also in action in Europe as they play Zenit St. Petersburg. Um, yeah. So now we're going to have our break and then we'll be back with the Bundesliga and Syria. Welcome back from our break. Um, we're now going to look at the Bundesliga, um, where probably the biggest shock of the whole weekend was in this game, um, as Bochum, newly promoted Bochum, beat Bayern Munich 4-2. Um, Bayern went ahead through a goal from who else but Robert Lewandowski. But then Bayern's lack of defensive midfield Bayern's lack of competent defensive players um, hindered them as Bochum kind of just um, tore their way through the Bayern defence and scored four goals before half-time. Um, 
Robert Lewandowski then scored a consolation. Um, so it was clearly Lewandowski was getting no help at all. Um, but yeah, this is a complete shock, really. Um, and it, it, it's interesting that Bochum are a team that just scores bangers, frankly. Um, there's been two cases where they've just kind of lobbed the ball from the halfway line and it's went in. Um, Garrett Holtman channeled his inner Messi quite early on in the season. And this time, Christian Gamboa and Garrett Holtman again both scored goals of the season contenders. And I don't think there's any really more that you can comment on the game. It's just how Bayern were absolutely terrible defensively. Um, ironically enough, their best defensive player was Nicolas Sule, who obviously, as we've mentioned, is leaving. Whereas Dariot Upamecano comes in, he's obviously meant to be the future of this Bayern defence, was terrible and got subbed off just after half-time. And obviously their, the lack of Manuel Neuer and relying on Sven Ulreich was also a big hindrance to Bayern. Yeah, well, what can I say? I did call it. It's the Ulreich effect. Well, when you have Neuer behind you, first of all, you're a much more confident defender. Second of all, when you cock up, it's not going to be a goal. It just <laughs> won't because you have Neuer covering your ass. When you have Ulreich, it's a completely different story, especially if you're someone like a Pimecano, who is quite error-prone. Also, back to him, a bit, bit of a concern that he is performing worse. Or well, he had one game where he performed worse than someone who is basically a secret agent at this point. Like, <laughs> respect to Sule for being professional and, and at least keeping up a half-decent uh, output. But like, come on, what a symbolic game for, from the from the Bayern back line, really. It, it's interesting that by all the games Bayern have lost this season have been against teams that you wouldn't think would beat them. Obviously, their first loss was against Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, they then lost to Augsburg. And then, more recently, Borussia Mönchengladbach and now Bochum. Um, it makes you think, do they just heavily underestimate these teams and get a bit cocky about it and then they obviously get um, payback for not really taking these teams fully seriously. I think taking away the Frankfurt game and the Borussia Mönchengladbach game because the Frankfurt game Kevin Trapp just turned into the best goalie ever and obviously for this Borussia Mönchengladbach team game they were heavily depleted with Covid. But both in the Augsburg and Bochum game, they're both heavily underestimated the teams that they were playing against. And it's clearly backfired as well. Yeah, I would say so as well. I mean, I spent the entirety of the, of the La Liga section basically commenting on what happens when, when teams take their uh, foot off the gas. And I mean, in those cases they kind of lost their concentration in the middle of the game but if you go uh if you be if you begin the match and you're not there and you just don't really care about what's in front of you like you're just going to play badly like you're going to get overrun by a bunch of players who are putting in a lot more effort than you uh, that's just how it is if if they really just give it their all and run faster than you just fight harder for for divided balls you're not going to have any possession you're not going to slip past anybody all, all their players are just going to run past you so yeah, that, that's the way I see it. Like, every team, no matter what their opposition, should take their opposition seriously. 
And obviously this does open the door for the Champions League where it gives Salzburg some hope that they could potentially get some sort of result against Bayern. Um, obviously the teams played each other in the Champions League group stages last year and Bayern comfortably beat Salzburg. Um, but now it does show that Bayern have weaknesses. Um, mainly in their defence and if this can be exploited and you can kind of at least reduce their attacking output then there's potential of an upset it will be hard though because this is over two legs um, if it was a one-legged game potentially you could see an upset but um, the two-legged is, is a big um, area that's a big issue for Salzburg um, Leipzig they beat Cologne 3-1. Um, once again, it seems to be a common occurrence with Leipzig when we talk about them. They've improved so much, again, under Dominic Tedesco. And they look a so much better team um, as well. They, they comfortably beat this Cologne side. Um, Christopher Nkunku was once again central um, to this game. And I think, depending on what happens with Robert Lewandowski... You could potentially easily say that Christopher Nkunku is the player of the season. Um, obviously, that may also depend where Leipzig finish um, in 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 the table. But the way they're playing, they could easily finish in the top four now. Even though before the, the winter break, it did look quite bleak, especially under Jesse March. And what's also positive for Leipzig is Andre Silva is slowly growing in stature now and is looking a lot more comfortable. At Leipzig is obviously he did have a bit of a a rougher settling in period, and so in the Champions League, Leipzig play Sociedad. Dortmund uh, they beat Union Berlin three nil um, with two goals from Marco Royce and one for Rafael Guerrero. Surprisingly, for this Dortmund side, they are actually quite sound defensively, which is something you don't associate with Dortmund at this current moment um, yes they should have actually conceded a goal if it wasn't for some controversial VAR taking a goal away from Union but this greater it's kind of this they've, they've learned from their mistake against Bayer Leverkusen where they got absolutely trounced and have decided to kind of take it a step back a bit when it comes to them going all that attack um, and they and becoming more defensively sound, which may be more beneficial to them in the long run. Um, and Dortmund's play Rangers in the Europa League as well. And so now on to Serie A. The biggest game in Serie A was between Napoli and Inter Milan. Uh, we briefly, briefly mentioned it when talking about Barcelona. Um, it finished 1-1 between Napoli and Inter Milan. Uh, Inter do lose their first place as Milan, AC Milan beat Sampdoria 1-0 and what was surprising was Napoli was actually the better team in this game and Inter weren't looking like the team that should really be first Yeah, well we've talked about in the previous episode about how Inter may be suffering some some mental problems uh, as a team that they, they may have had the confidence knocked out of them and even though they had a substantial lead uh, coming into this winter part of the part of the season, 
they haven't really um, been good enough to keep it. I don't know if it's complacency or if it's just loss of confidence. But um, but yeah, they're just kind of tumbling now. They don't really seem to be able to find their footing. And well, just Napoli, Napoli was taking no prisoners. They they're quite close to the top. Sure, Inter has a game in hand, but but they know that they just need to push all out, and and this could be their year. And so and also they just went out into the game looking a lot more like like themselves, looking more like they wanted to win. Meanwhile, Inter seemed a little bit more timid, uh, maybe trying to play more safe, trying to avoid a, trying to avoid a, a bad result from from them. But if you're not daring, you're not going to win, and that's really what the game showed, I think. Um, yeah, and it'd be in- obviously we mentioned it again, and we'll always mention this is the game in hand that Inter Milan have. They obviously do have this game in hand, which if they win, will take them top. But obviously they have not been looking that comfortable recently and obviously they do have another challenge um, as they play Liverpool in um, the Champions League. It is worth noting that Liverpool have been looking quite strong recently. And so this issues that Inter have would definitely be put to the test um, in this game. Yes, I agree. Especially... (laughs) Especially with Luis Diaz rocking the Premier League, I think he's going to rock Inter Milan as well. Well, while we're on the subject, there are the other Champions League game that's being played is between Sporting and Manchester City. Once again, Manchester City have got an easy draw. Um, most likely that Manchester City will be going through. Hopefully, they don't and they cock it up. But you know, um, they're very strong favourites to beat Sporting. The the other game in, in Syria was between Juventus and Atalanta. Um, Juventus required a late Danilo goal to rescue them a point uh, after Rusin Malinowski opened the scoring for Atalanta. It's worth noting that Paolo Di Bada um, got the assist for Juventus, once again showing how crucial he is to the team, especially with um, the running down of his contract. And I'm not saying I have an agenda. It's also worth noting that Vlahovic didn't obviously score. Right, but Vlahovic had a good game. Uh, I I wouldn't say I I would not fault him for for not doing great in this one. Uh, in fact, considering he's wearing the number seven shirt, and now we've we finally see him not score a game. It's only been two that he's played or three. What would we consider Vlahovic a suitable replacement for Cristiano Ronaldo? Well, he's better than Ronaldo. Um, well, if he goes in games like this one, then he's just as good. <laughs> well, <laughs> I I mean the way I see it, first of all, he's he has he's gonna have a much longer longevity. than Ronaldo, I think I I would hope I can't really say for sure, but uh, but I think. Uh, especially with with kind of his stature and his style of playing, they they do have similarities, and I think Vlahovic, especially at the moment, he's got a better eye for goal. So really, I see him as probably a good trade for Juve. I think Man United aren't quite happy uh, at the moment <laughs> with their end of the deal. Not that they gave Juve Vlahovic, but the fact that they just got Ronaldo dumped on them. Um, and then the other Italian team in action is Lazio, who play 
Porto in the Europa League. So now we'll have our goals on break and then we'll be back with Liga. Welcome back from our goal song break. You just heard the Monaco goal song. So Nick, what do you rate it out of, out of 10? It's quite good. It's a, it's a much needed improvement after the stinker goal songs we've had in the last few weeks. Uh, it's groovy and it's fun and I'll give it a 8 out of 10. It's solid. I will give it a, a, a 7. Um, so now onto Liga. Where we give you our, our weekly PSG slander and it doesn't stop here. Um, PSG beat Ren 1-0, needing a 93rd minute winner from Kylian Mbappe to beat Ren. Once again showing that this is a, a poor performance from PSG where they've somehow won the game. And once again backs up our point that Real Madrid will probably end up beating them. Well, I mean, in, in all fairness, Ren are doing quite decent in the league. Granted, the point gap between them and PSG is massive. However, uh, they're no pushover team, so uh, fair enough. But especially considering they have the one and only Jeremy Doku. Uh, but still, when it's PSG and they have the quality they have, and they basically outclass everybody uh, at Ren, I, I see. I do suspect that PSG may have been resting players because Xavi Simons started, and he was completely average. But it, that's what you would expect from an 18-year-old who's just getting first-team football. We yeah, are considering considering they didn't play their strongest eleven. I I don't think it's as tragic as Jack loves to make it seem. But yeah, still, still, fair enough. They should have done much much better. Um, yeah, obviously it just it just backs up what we said earlier about how they'll probably become unstuck against um, Real Madrid. It's also worth noting that Lionel Messi got an assist. Um, he obviously has more assists as he does goals. Um, the other biggish game in Liga is be was between Lyon and Nice. Um, Lyon won two 0 with goals from Moussa Dembélé and Toko Akambi. What's worth noting here is Tangay and Dembélé made his second debut for Lyon and proceeded to get an assist <laughs> in his first game back in Liga. So essentially, uh, Lyon received fifty-five million euros for Ndombele, gave them Ndombele for a few years and now they've just got him back. So <laughs> good business I guess shows you the, the amazing management behind Tottenham. Yeah, it, it just shows what a good manager can get out of a player. That as well. Anyway, that is it for today. Um, thank you for listening. Please like us, follow us, subscribe and whatever. And yeah, we will be back on Thursday to discuss the Champions League. Yep, uh, thank you very much and I, I hope you're all looking forward to the new week of Champions League as much as I am. See you all later.